Hello everyone, welcome back to From the Front Row, brought to you by the University of Iowa College of Public Health. My name is Oge Chibo and I'm joined by Steve Sonier. And if this is your first time with us, welcome. We're a student-run podcast that talks about major issues in public health and how they are relevant to anyone, both in and out of the field of public health. Today, we'll be chatting with Kathy Furry, CEO of the Indiana State Museum. Kathy led the development of a novel exhibit for the museum entitled Fix, Heartbreak and Hope Inside Our Opioid Crisis, with the aim of breaking stigma surrounding opioid use disorder. This exhibit provides a unique opportunity to further the conversation surrounding a major public health issue and start to help people manage this crisis more effectively. Kathy, welcome to the show. Thank you. So Kathy, if you can lead off with the genesis for this project, it's, it's beautifully designed, it's very thought provoking. We've heard about the opioid epidemic in public health circles and beyond with an added emphasis of what's going on during the pandemic as well. What really got you interested in developing FIX as an exhibit? What was kind of the, the starting point for you? Well, something I think everybody can relate to, I was um, introduced to a woman who was uh, buying an outfit um, to go to Washington, D.C. to lobby um, about the opioid crisis. And I had just been appointed the CEO of the Indiana State Museum and Historic Sites. And I said, you know, Justin, there's got to be something that we can do to help. There just has to be. So I start in a month. I hadn't even started yet. I said, so come see me and I want to learn more about what you're doing uh, so I can better understand. I actually come from a family of mental health um, experts. My parents are both psychiatrists, as was my grandfather, and my other grandparents were social workers. So the idea of mental health and substance abuse disorder and the idea that all of those things were secrets were the reason that they get perpetuated. Uh, so I have spent my career um, looking for an opportunity to help move the things that are in the shadows that continue to move um, behind us up to the forefront. Uh, so that we can start to address them and maybe get them solved rather than secretly passing them on to the next generation. Well, thank you so much for that. I'm actually great that you got your first inspiration from seeing someone buy an outfit. (laughs) That's amazing. Could you tell us a bit about the process it took to create this project? So um, an example in the community stories section and, and the website Um, What kind of stakeholders did you have in your team? And in public health, we emphasize on the role of being a chief health strategist, which is being able to act as a leader in mobilizing different people in the community to achieve a similar goal. So in this case would be your project to decrease the opioid use disorder crisis in your community. So. So I actually um, started looking at who I thought would be interested. And in the museum business, you start with your board of directors. So it was my third board meeting. Uh, If you wonder, they were wondering. And the most incredible thing was they said, absolutely look into that, see what you can find out. If there's something we can do, let's do it. So I began, I spoke with the drug czar of Indiana uh, because he the opioid crisis was one of our governor's five pillars, and he was responsible for addressing it. Indiana was highly ranked, unfortunately, in the number of cases of opioid uh, use disorder in the country. So that meant it was a statewide issue. It wasn't an urban issue or a rural, rural issue. It was a statewide issue. And as 
um, the one statewide uh, museum system um, in Indiana. I felt that we had a, a real opportunity to have an impact on 12 different communities and their surrounding communities rather than a community. So we started talking to donors, people who we knew were interested in making a difference. I spoke with many medical professionals. We were able to connect with the Rural Hospital Association of Indiana, who then connected us with the presidents of the hospitals in different areas. They were incredibly supportive because one of the issues they faced um, that museums really feel like we could make a difference is that um, hospitals are usually places that are scary. You only go there when you're sick. Um, that's where grandma um, passes away. That there, Good things don't happen there, unfortunately. As much as medicine has moved forward, museums are a place that invite you to come in and be curious and ask questions and learn about new things. And again, this was something that people didn't talk about, but that needed to be talked about. So we were looking for those people at the hospital who were trying to address the opioid crisis so that we could give them a forum, a comfortable forum, a non-threatening forum to get their information out. So we really started with looking at who were the people in the medical field who were doing this. We really had a great opportunity to partner with our family social services um, organization, the mental health division of that. They were really excited and in actuality ended up funding the project for us. So they were able to take federal funds that they were using to break the stigma of the opioid crisis in order to fund this project that we felt um, would have a great impact on school children at an age when they would still listen and at a point where they could really hear information that they could understand. So fourth, fifth, and sixth graders still think adults have something to say, and they are on the verge of entering a world where things like this will become um, a part of their community. So uh, we felt like the hospitals were a great place to start. We also partnered with Indiana University. They have what is called a grand challenge of the opioid crisis. And the head of the nursing school, Dr. Newhouse, the PI on that project, the primary investigator, and she actually took time to work with us and then connected us with several people in her um, division that were looking to do evaluation on how things are, can help break down the stigma. So we would be one of those places. So we partnered with IU. Um, we partnered with University of Indianapolis and their art therapy program. We partnered with IUPUI and their music therapy program. So we really looked for places that were working in this field and how could we bring them together, as you said, be the convener, be the person that asks the big question and then gets many people to answer it for you. And that is as any good networking process, you never leave a meeting without asking who else we should be talking to, who else might be interested in this project. Um, and at the end of the day, we ended up with well over 50 partners throughout the state of Indiana who were interested. So we were able to really galvanize a group of people behind something that they knew was important that would help them do their work. Um, and we provided a forum and a resource and an expertise that they themselves could not have. That's incredibly exciting just to hear about all those community partners coming together for this. And like you're saying, you know, in one of the initial videos, we're talking about how this is a novel idea for a museum to come out and do this. I can think of, you know, the museums that I've been to, and they don't touch on this very critically important subject, as you talk about with fourth, fifth, and sixth graders, that this is an important conversation to be having, because it is part of the world. And this is a safe, educative space for it, where you're going to get 
the best and the brightest in the community, right? You talk about art therapy, you talk about hospitals coming together, universities. And this really seems like an excellent place to hit on such a, a difficult topic for, for kiddos, for family members to understand. When you're creating this project, what is the focus in terms of health equity? When you're looking at the motivation and implementation side of things, how do you think that this will impact your local community who's able to attend the museum and see this exhibit? So a couple of things that you said that I think are really, really important, and that is museums have a long time been a place to have difficult conversations, but the American um, community has been very oriented on history rather than on current topics and relevancy, and we are um, learning from that today. And I think that museums are a place that have a lot of power to help people have conversations and also give parents and other adults in people's lives, I'm an aunt, the tools and the information we need to have these conversations. Many times the reason why things like substance abuse disorder and those types of things get unnoticed or unspoken about is people don't understand them. They don't know how to address them. They don't know what they're supposed to say. They don't understand it themselves. So you're asking people to explain things to about something they know nothing about. Um, and particularly teachers are overwhelmed in the classroom on a normal day, I am a huge fan of teachers. They have a lot on their plate and they are experts at a lot of things, but we wanted to be able to give them in a very succinct and concise way, um, the ability to address what they're addressing in the classroom on a daily basis with their students and their students' parents in a way that was non-threatening. Again, museums are a place where we ask you to think about information, we provide you with a lot of resources brought together. You may have heard about this or you may have heard about that, but we've brought all of those this and that together in one place so that you can really pick and choose what's of interest to you. Um, when you ask me about health equity, um, the reason again that we felt we were uniquely positioned to address this is because we are located um, the Indiana State Museum itself is located in, the, in Indianapolis, which is a, uh, obviously an urban area, but many of our historic sites are located in much smaller rural communities, and therefore we had a chance to really be sure that we were reaching um, all of Indiana, not a segment of Indiana. Um, and that was why people like the Rural Hospital Association um, were really interested in working with us as well as the universities, because we could help them meet and talk to audiences that they may not normally have access to. That was a really great reply and also talking on, you know, health equity. So we navigated the website. So the website dedicated for this project. And I just have to say that your UI UX developer did an amazing job. So for people who don't know what that is, a UI UX developer is a user um, interface, user experience designer who basically works with different type of um, technology spaces, your iPhones, anything just to make sure that the experience you have with whatever platform is amazing. Interface was user-friendly, engaging, easily accessible, but I might also be biased since I am in this field and I kind of know what every single segment was kind of talking about. So we were wondering who is your target audience for this project and why? So for the project at large, we were looking at both the family audience within communities so that we could help support parents in having what are um, very difficult conversations, as I said, 
Uh, we were also looking to support the fourth, fifth, and sixth grade school group because, again, that's a time where kids are um, in a position to still hear about this information before they've actually experienced it, we hope. In some personal way, up front and close, there is a lot of conversation about um, when and how you are um, exposed to opioids. So I'm not saying that, that it is a time period where it starts or finishes, but it is a very complex. So fourth, fifth, and sixth graders could begin to understand what we were talking about. Um, so we were really hopeful that we would be able to reach family audiences with that same age group, as well as reach those classrooms. Uh, what we have found is our most successful audience and one we're looking to support is the recovery community. And so what we found is we have been able to provide a place for the recovery community to bring in their relatives, to bring in their friends and help them understand what's happening in their lives in a way that, again, um, the gallery is bright, light colors. This is, you know, we are bringing all of this into the sunshine. This is something that can and should be talked about. It's a disease. There's information we can uh, give you so that you can better understand. There are tools we can give you so you can help. Um, so we really felt like um, there were multiple audiences that we could reach and that there were different needs of different audiences that we could actually address as well. From since the time that this project was first implemented till now, have you noticed, uh, I guess, a high increase in the number of people who are actually then talking about the opioid use disorder or maybe parents discussing about how, you know, their children were also intrigued and, you know, are more curious about what is going on or maybe ways that help and maybe there's less stigma maybe discussing opioid in general. So a, a couple of answers to that. One, um, in informal learning, uh, we don't pre-test you and post-test you. So we don't know what you know, and we don't know what you gained. And many times what you learn in a museum, you use at a very unusual um, point in your life. It's not you walk out the door and then this is how it gets implemented into my life. It may come up and you'll be like, oh, that's right. I was at the state museum and I remember when they were talking about art therapy and I didn't know you could use it. I thought it was only used for people who were in um, different situations. So knowing how and when we affect people is, is very difficult. We had just opened this exhibition at the end of January and then we closed to the public on March uh, 17th and we're closed for over 90 days. So we missed an entire school audience um, that we were hoping to capture, as well as the kids, as you all are painfully aware, are in a hybrid situation and are not visiting museums right now. So we have not been able to bring them in this fall either. And this spring is not sure where that will land, but we may by the end of May be able to um, bring some people in. We have extended the length of the program. With that said, we had talked to the Family Social Services Mental Health Division, and they were very interested in how they could help us bring school children to the exhibition. And when you talk about equity, how they could take away the barrier of admission. So they, we had presented them with a grant that they'd asked us about that would bring school kids to the museum to have the experience. Well, that obviously wasn't going to happen. So we went back to the drawing table. And again, I will take no credit for the website, but I'm delighted to know that you think it's wonderful. I think it's wonderful. You understand how it's wonderful. I just understand that it is. But knowing that now there was an opportunity for us to potentially reach 
not only the communities we were serving in Indiana, but a larger spectrum because museums were seeing um, people from around the world were all looking for different um, things to do, different places. And so those of us that were present in the marketplace had a chance to reach a broader audience. So we spoke with FSSA and we redeployed those dollars with their blessing and help. And we are producing what we call modules. So they are going to be representative of the exhibition, but they won't be duplicates of, but they will have an expert, a video of an expert talking about a topic. They will have someone who is experiencing it. Um, so they'll have a first person speaking about it. And then um, there'll be a third video that may be a combination of things or have some other way to reinforce a topic. And so the topics we address in the exhibition, sort of why is pain important or how does the brain work? We have pulled out those larger topics and made them into modules. So we can now provide for teachers um, that are looking for content to have their students uh, that is different than what they've seen before. We can now provide this type of experience through interactive um, modules uh, that we provide through technology. We are also offering with um, their support 50 virtual experiences where one of our staff members will walk you through several of the topics of the modules. Um, they will send you a set of kits so you will do things as we um, as you might normally do in the exhibit, so hands-on projects. And in this case, uh, one of the things that is a really effective recovery tool is you write down those things that make you unhappy and then you shred them. So I think we've shredded COVID a couple of times. But what we can do in this case is work kids through that process and then have them tear them up and throw them away. So it's a, it's a similar idea that they can shred it themselves and that that is giving away that negativity, that's giving away that barrier in your life. So there are ways we will look to take the work that we've done in the exhibition and repackage it um, on a virtual component. We will be able to tell then how many people, you know, as you all know, click through, um, actually watch the full videos, how many programs were actually Apple, um, able to uh, um, give. We can do pre and post projects for the teachers to do. Um, and then we can ask them to do end of class evaluations uh, once they've worked through one of these programs. So we will have an opportunity to gain um, a lot more information, having um, the support to put it online. So it was a really long answer, but it was one of those situations where um, our attendance actually was rising. People were coming. So we were very excited about it. We were partnering with Indiana University. They were going to come over. They had some questions about public health that they want answered. And we had questions about museum exhibits that we want answered to know if we were making a difference, if people did understand um, what was effective, what was not effective. So we will be looking at what information that comes up and the feedback we get from those videos to help complement what we are still getting from the general public who is visiting the exhibition. There are so many excellent thoughts that I'm, I'm thinking about when it comes to these points that you've mentioned on here. The one that immediately stands out to me is during the pandemic, there's been that challenge to adapt and figure out how am I going to deliver these educative substances. And just as a parent, you know, I was coming through and seeing there's museums online, there's these virtual exhibits. How can I spend my time when I'm cooped up in my house? And especially for the teachers who are trying to mold their curriculum and trying to bring that interactivity 
the nice thing while having to pivot away from the in-person is the perpetuity of having this online resource that many folks can access from across the globe, like you're talking about. I think that you're, like you've noted, you're uniquely positioned to be experts in this area and have that real life experience, which is another thing that I really enjoyed is that the perspective of someone going through this very difficult time and navigating this disease and having that voice there. I think that folks, especially the younger ones, might not be aware of the human element of things. They might hear it from a secondhand source or they might have an offhand uh, experience with it and not understand that this is a very difficult thing that affects many people that can be close relatives and not have a really easy way to process this. So it's wonderful to hear that there are those multiple dimensions of addressing this issue and exploring it, as you say, bringing some sunshine into it, you know, putting it out to the light and demonstrating here's what's going on. You, you touched a little bit on how the pandemic has affected the mobilization of this. For the funding and the, the continuation of the project, really, where do you see this heading in the next one to two years? What would you like to, the project to kind of pivot towards while we're still figuring out the situation of the pandemic and the in-person learning experiences? So one thing that um, I did commit to and the institution committed to and the board approved was that um, we would not jump in and out of this topic as um, we may do with other exhibitions. Things are focused on the exhibit when the exhibit's gone. Okay, well, we've done that now, what's next? So um, really uh, the opportunity to put together these modules gave us the chance to be sure that we lived out that promise, that we would continue to provide information, we would continue to partner with the schools and partner with our community on how to address this. Unfortunately, what we have seen is a huge rise in substance abuse disorder um, during COVID. We have, uh, the use of Narcon has gone up substantially. People are together. So these things that you didn't, you had a chance to hide more easily, um, you're unable to do now because you are all right there. So our hope is that people were looking for a way to manage their situation and that we were able to help provide that, um, help provide some of those. The other is that recovery tools are not only for opioid use disorder. Recovery tools are going to be used by people who've been stuck in the house for nine months with a one-year-old. Um, they're going to be used by, you know, 23-year-olds who went to grad school and found themselves back at home. So how do I manage this? So the yoga classes that are used, the music therapy, the relaxation therapy, the um, look for those things I'm grateful for. Those are all things that all of us can use when we're trying to recover from a very difficult situation. We may use them differently. Um, we may have different needs for them, but we feel like the, the pandemic has broadened people's understanding and helped build that empathy we were hoping to build when they find themselves isolated and uh, without a community. And that is particularly difficult for people in recovery, um, and they pivoted as quickly as they possibly could. But many people who um, are extroverts, like myself, found this idea of being in my office by myself, talking to myself or to the screen, um, not very fulfilling. So um, we really believe that our timing was incredibly useful to our communities and will continue to be as we work our way, not only through um, the opioid crisis, but as we work our way through um, how we've been affected by COVID and the things that it has required us to do to stay safe. 
I think our audience will really appreciate you having um having you on here. I know we too have learned a lot from having you on here. So for the sake of your time, because we value your time so much, we're just going to chug along to the last question that we have here for you, which is um what is one thing about you knew but you later were wrong about? So it could be anything. Well, it's um, funny when I read that question, I was like, I don't, I think that's a whole nother podcast that lasts for about, I don't know, 10 years. But I do think that there is something that uh, I have found over time um, as an old woman compared to you all. And that is when I went to college, who I think is some of your audience, um, I was in um, political science and radio and television. I was, um, I grew up in Indiana. So Jane Polly was our um, role model. Um, when I got to school and uh, started going into radio and television and graduated, wasn't sure what to do with that. And I had a summer job at a museum. And so I graduated and started working at the museum and kept thinking that it was, quote, my temporary or summer job. Well, 35 years later, I am still working in a museum. I am using the skills that I learned at college um, to do things like this podcast or do television um, as I've done with my career throughout to help people understand what museums are doing. But I was wrong about how I would spend my life and my career. And I think all of us, I just like everyone to remember uh, that there are many avenues you can take with your education. There are many avenues you can take with your life and to always be open uh, to following that. Um, because had I forced myself to do what I was quote supposed to or quote trained to do, I think I would not have nearly the opportunity that I've had in the museum field to really touch a lot of lives in a way that's important. Thank you so much for that motivation at the end, because we have come to like our end in graduate school and we're about to enter into the job market. So <laughs> that definitely was needed. Yeah. But yeah. So, um, Steve, do you have anything to add? I, I was uh, thinking the exact same thing. I had a, a conversation with a, a, a mentor of mine a couple of days ago, and her exact quote was something to the effect of, you know, you're not going to go wrong wherever you go. And it was really helpful to hear that because I feel like many people, especially now during the pandemic, but entering and exiting a graduate program or any, you know, college education program, you're trying to figure out your place. What am I going to do? Where am I going to be? And having that appreciation to being open and accepting of these experiences, you may end up working in a museum and having this wonderful illustrative career where you get this really incredibly valuable opportunity to communicate this difficult public health crisis to people who are coming into it and figuring it out like you're talking about from those different perspectives. So I just think that's a fantastic answer. And I'd love to thank you for your time today. This was an excellent opportunity. And I'm so glad that we were able to talk with you about this. We wish you the best of luck in promoting it. Thank you. And best of luck to both of you. I know you'll have big impacts on whatever you choose to do um, because you obviously take um, to heart uh, what's of interest to you and that makes all the difference. That's it for this week's episode of From the Front Row. Huge thanks to our guest, Kathy Faree, for coming on today. Fix, Heartbreak, and Hope Inside Our Opioid Crisis is open until August 1st, 2021 and is available online at indianamuseum.org. We'll have the direct link to the site in our show notes. This episode was hosted and written by Oge Chibo and Steve Sonye. This episode was edited and produced by Steve Sonye. You can find more about the University of Iowa College of Public Health on Facebook. 
Our podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud as the University of Iowa College of Public Health. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your colleagues. Our team can be reached at cph-gradambassador at uiowa.edu. This episode was brought to you by the University of Iowa College of Public Health. Keep on keeping on out there.